Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. And all of the sign writing for the van was peeling off. And I was thinking to myself as I was flying out, I was thinking to myself, you know, that impacts on the image of the company that you can't even be bothered to have the sign writing or the stickers or whatever else that, you know, that fit on properly. If you want a reputation for low prices and you don't want to necessarily sacrifice your reputation for quality, one thing that you can do is use these indirect signals of low prices. I don't know if you've ever tried to stop Amazon's Prime membership. It's difficult because I've tried. Whereas if I compared it against something like Netflix, it's very simple to stop Netflix. So Ryan, we have a pickle to deal with today. Great. Someone's business problem, for those of you that don't know what a pickle is. And it's an interesting one, actually, because I I think a number of people tend to get this wrong. But this is from Catherine, and she asks, how can I establish a reputation for low prices without seeming to be cheap and low quality? Yeah. It's a bit of an issue, isn't it? It is. It's really hard. In fact, um, uh, you know, in talking with marketers over the years, I, this might be like the fundamental problem for a lot of businesses. You want you want to have that reputation for low prices. You want to have a reputation for high quality. The problem is the fundamental problem is that these two ideas are in conflict in the minds of of most customers. Like we know how markets work. We all kind of believe there's no free lunch out there, and so. If you try to communicate low price, you are kind of hand in hand communicating low quality. And if you want to communicate high quality, you were kind of hand in hand communicating high price. And so creating a break between those two ideas so that somebody can hold these conflicting ideas simultaneously, that's really hard. That's really difficult. Sure. We are, I mean, I I will preface this. We are not going to resolve this. Like I said, this is kind of fundamental (laughs) I will give the best advice that I can. This is actually an area of research for me. Um, My dissertation was on kind of reputation for prices. I'll tell you what the research shows, but I don't want to fool anybody into thinking like, oh, these irreconcilable differences, we can just smash them together. We'll do the best we can um, and we'll point in the right direction. But this this is hard. This is a really hard problem to, to solve. So maybe we should start off by giving people some examples that they would know about. Because one of them, as you were just even talking there, that came to my mind was Amazon. I mean, I wouldn't consider Amazon to be low quality. In fact, thinking about it, they've been driving the market in many innovations, including low price. So, I mean, that's one. The other one that I would give you as a, a suggestion is there's a store that in my local town in uh, where I live in Dunstable in um, England called Dunstable Discount. And that has a reputation for being 
low price, but also low quality. <laughs> it's the classic, I wouldn't really go there unless I really want something incredibly cheap. As I was thinking about that, it was the, it's just even goes down to the look of the place, doesn't it? So are there any examples that you would give? I'll fold in some specific examples as we get to some of the specific advice. You illustrate kind of one end of the extreme here, and then also a place showing that it is possible, right? So if you call your store a discount store, that comes with this whole raft of associations with it. Among them, it's going to be low quality, right? Like that's, that's kind of baked into that association. Amazon is one of these unique cases where I do think that they developed a reputation for high quality, especially if within quality, we, we include things like service quality, like speed of delivery, that still has a, a low price reputation. Interestingly, over time, I think when Amazon started, back when it was Amazon.com and they, they only shipped books, I think they had a really low price image. And over time, I think it's crept up. I, th- I think it's not as low as it used to be. It's still low, right? I think it's sure. still not seen as like a high-priced seller. But I think part of that is exactly this trade-off. Like as they've improved service, as they've become more convenient, as they've done all these things to improve kind of the quality of the offering, reputation for prices has, has crept up a little bit as well. Um, sure. The difficulty sure. Reasons, certainly. Let me give you some some broad advice here. There's kind of two categories, we'll we'll call it three categories of advice that I'll give on this. Let's start with the one that you were hinting at before, which is not what I'm going to call non-price factors that drive your reputation for pricing. Uh, You mentioned decor. There's a lot of research on price image. Um, I've done some of it. And a lot of it focuses on what we can do with the prices to communicate a a reputation for pricing one way or the other. And I find that very interesting. and, And we'll go over some of it. I'm of the personal belief, but that's like kind of the academic side. Like we're very interested in prices. It's very fun to play around with numbers and see how people do with numbers. I'm convinced if I was running a store and I wanted to communicate a price image, I'm convinced that these non-price factors are more important. Right. There's a lot of research on it, but I just I think that that's it's more important in communicating things. So let's let's talk about some of them. Decor is one. I'm sure that all of our listeners have been in an experience where they've gone into a store and drawn a conclusion about how expensive the store is before they see the first price tag. Sure. So if you go in and the decor is very high end, the displays are very beautiful, there are there's lots of service personnel waiting to answer your questions and, and guide you through this. All of that sends a signal that the prices are high without us actually messing with the prices, which is very interesting from for this price quality link. The, the reverse can also be true. There's this anecdote where Walmart decided several years ago that they wanted to kind of clean up their stores. They had a reputation for having kind of dingy cluttered stores. So they, they didn't drop pallets of goods in the middle of the aisles anymore. And the lighting was brighter and they the, made sure that to sweep the floors more often. People started complaining about the higher prices. Wow. Wow. Just because of that. Yeah. So if you want a reputation for low prices and you don't want to necessarily sacrifice your reputation for quality, one thing that you can do is use these indirect signals of low prices. There's another story that the first Home Depot um, that was opened as a, a DIY shop, the night before it opened, some 
employee went through and like shined all the floors, uh, all the concrete floors, so that it'd be nice and ready for a grand opening. And the founder was furious, and he told them to get out their skid steers and scuff up all the floors. He want he didn't want to send the the signal that this is like a high priced store. He wanted this to look like a lived in store, someplace that uh, uh, construction workers would go, a warehouse. He was sending these signals that no, no, this is a this is a low price store. And those signals, the connection between those signals and quality is weaker, right? So when you go into a Costco or a Sam's Club, you've got concrete floors and warehouse shelving and, and industrial lighting and all of these things send a low price signal sure, without necessarily sending as strong a signal that it's low quality. And I presume you can't quantify that. You can't turn around and say that's worth... 10% revenue or you could a it would be very, of very 10% of the price or yeah. yeah yeah i mean if if you're if you're good at survey taking and you can like kind of measure how these things change out i could do it in a a hypothetical scenario show people pictures of different stores where i you know uh, scuff up the floors and photoshop in one versus another and then i could uh, measure their anticipated willingness to pay all that kind of stuff but yeah, no, th- these are, when I talk about price image or reputation for pricing, I describe it as the intersection between pricing and branding. And so just like a lot of times your your brand is difficult to quantify, like yeah. if Coca-Cola puts out some ads talking about how Coke makes you happy, it's going to be really hard to tie that back to revenue. But we have this kind of belief that it matters, right? I, I think that the price image is in that same kind of. So it is quantifiable to an extent, but not as much. Service is another one. So if you know, if you want to create a great customer experience and high level service, the risk there, the, the potential downside is people could start to assume your prices are higher, right? So as we're we're balancing this this price quality trade off thing, if we use these indirect signals, a lot of times that'll have more of an effect on our price image than our quality image. Yeah, so it's making me think that clearly the whole of the environment matters. And again, I guess the whole of the issue is of segmentation. So what are you used to? What Somebody that normally shops in a high-end shop could be could think that the prices are going to be lower, et cetera, et cetera. But it was also making me think about in the B2B environment. And I wondered how this sort of you could make this play out in that B2B environment. Just follow me through for a moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, if someone, if you get a team of five people all come dressed in their designer shirts and all turn up in Porsche cars and all those things, and, and of all, I'm exaggerating now to make a point, all got a personal assistant with them. That would be a different image to, I don't know if you've ever seen um, that TV uh, series on Netflix, Better Called Saul, Better Called yeah. Saul. Yep. You've got the the person. So it's, it's like, well, what are you dressed as? But I suppose that would apply just as much in a, in a store or in a B2C as it does in a B2B. I, I think that's an, an excellent parallel there, right? And so this isn't B2B, but like I had a similar experience to one, the one you're describing. My garage would leak when it rained. So there'd be a little bit of flooding that would come in. And so 
we wanted to get some people out to kind of quote solutions for that. And I had somebody pull up to um, digging out a, a drain, which is not a, a glamorous solution, right? They're going to jackhammer concrete and put a drain in. This guy pulled up in the nicest Mercedes I have ever seen, um, a salesperson <laughs> to quote me. And I didn't even need to hear him. He had a like a, a tailored button-down shirt with the logo of the the drain system solution on there. He had a laptop where he could provide the cause. I, I didn't need to hear the bid. I knew that this is not going to be something I could afford. But it's exactly that. Yeah. So these signals do not need to happen inside a store. Your salespeople are sending signals. There's kind of this for a lot of industries that they want the salespeople to look nice and they, they want to have nice cars and salespeople tend to make a lot within the organization. And but all those things send signals. I was thinking, funny enough, the other day, as I was following a van and all of the sign writing for the van was peeling off. And I was thinking to myself, as I was following it, I was thinking to myself, you know, that impacts on the image of the company that you can't even be bothered to have the sign writing or the stickers or whatever else that, you know, that fit on properly. So if you turned up to my house and said you were going to do this, I would start looking at those subconscious signs to go, actually, is the quality of the work the type of work that I want to get, basically? This is great, right? So this is, let's remember the question. The question was, how can I send a high price signal without signaling low quality? Which is the conflicting bit, obviously. Think about these signals, though, that you're that we've been talking about. You want to look for opportunities where the signal is going to send a stronger low price signal than it will a low quality signal. I think that what what you identified, you know, if somebody's got the the van is falling apart as they pull in, that to me would probably send a stronger low quality signal than it would a low price signal. So that's the opposite of what you want. Sure. Think instead of a van that pulls up that's not like super glitzy, but it's well-maintained. And instead of like a salesperson who's wearing very nice loafers steps out of the van, instead it looks like somebody, like an engineer, right? It looks like somebody who's done the work and they're dressed in kind of a non-fussy way. That might send a high quality signal without sending as strong of a high price signal. Yeah. So that would be what you want. But it's a balance, isn't it? Because to your point about you, the guy that turned up at your place, it is you don't want to go over the top, do you? I mean, he was sending a high quality signal too. Like I, sure. I believed this was probably the best solution um, in the business. And if I, if it wasn't my garage that was leaking, if instead it was my finished basement, sure. then I might have been more open to the idea of like, oh, well, I want something that I can trust. And so this might've worked great there. You're always going to be sending a signal from which people can draw both price and quality inferences. What you want to look for is those cases where they're imbalanced, where you're sending a stronger low price than than low quality or vice versa. Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000, that's very impressive, Colin. That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. 
I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, hey, beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. <laughs> it would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go on to LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. So I can think of lots of quality examples. What's a price example? They're linked, right? So if you if you walk into, I mean, one, one example I've used before is legal services. So there's lots of legal services that you that you have to buy that most people don't have any idea how much they should cost. So if you walk into a law office and say, I want to get a, a will and trust, if they offer to charge you $2,000 for that, like, is that a good price for that? I have no idea. Right. If I walk in though, and it's like, the office is in a high rise and it's all glass walls and doors everywhere. I'm going to assume that, that $2,000 is a high price for that legal service, as opposed to if I work, walk into a law office, that's like a converted house. So um, how does that tie in with reference points then? Because so are you using your reference points as the facilities that are around you or the other things that are around right. you? Think of these as two or three different ways of evaluating prices, right? So you can have reference prices that are based on your experience. So internal reference prices, you can have external. So these are reference prices based on the environment, the other things you see on the store shelf, or based on the reputation of the firm. So all of these things are still at play, but uh, when we're dealing with the reputation of the firm as a whole, we need to kind of scale up from any individual price to the, sure. the brand. Sure. Okay. All right, so that's that's one set of advice, and I think that's a very powerful way of communicating. Think about the signals that you're sending, and look for those asymmetric signals—the signals that will send a stronger low price signal than they will a low quality signal. So that's one. You can mess with the the pricing itself. Like I said, there's a, a big body of research on this. I, I won't bore everybody by by digging into the details. I'll point out one. There's kind of two broad pricing strategies that firms engage in. One is EDLP or everyday low pricing, and the other is high-low pricing. The basic idea is, you know, there are grocery stores and, and furniture stores where we're going to give you the lowest price across the board and everything we can. There are other stores where it's like, well, our, our everyday prices might be a little bit higher, but every once in a while, we're going to offer really deep discounts and you'll get the best price on the stuff that's discounted. The way people infer a reputation from those two strategies depends on whether they are looking at it from the outside, kind of before they go in, or whether they're evaluating the prices once they're in the store. From the outside, before you go in, an everyday low pricing strategy communicates low prices better, right? So if, if a store, like your, your discount, what was it, Dunshire discount or... or Dunstable discount. Uh, mine is better. Dunshire sounds better than Dunstable. Like <laughs> I'll have um, to go and live there then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a classier. I didn't realize I'd come out of this podcast having to move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's got the word discount on, it, like that's a very clear low price signal and therefore also probably low quality. But once you're inside the store, and this is some research that I just published last year, once you're inside the store, that flips. Because when you're looking at all of the offerings in front of you, the fact that some of them are very deeply discounted 
that sends a, a strong low price signal. And I would argue the higher prices in there also sends a higher quality signal. So if, if, you're, if you're trying to lure people into the store in the first place and you're trying to communicate low prices, everyday low pricing probably works better. But once people are inside the store, I think a, a, a high low pricing strategy where you, you discount deeply some of the stuff that you're offering, I think that sends a lower quality and a higher, a lower price and a higher quality signal. It does, yeah. I was just thinking that whenever I've been into a store like that, a discount store like that, it's strange that even some of the branded goods feel not as good. Yeah. Because you're, I don't know, I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I was thinking of ketchup, you know, and getting Heinz ketchup. Whereas when you buy it at a discount store, my immediate reaction thinking about it is, I guess the date would be, my immediate reaction would be to check the date actually <laughs> to make sure that, you know, it all wasn't going to go out of date next week or whatever. But it doesn't feel as, uh, even with those high-end branded good, not the Heinz ketchups, particularly high-end or, but you oh, get I'm, the idea. I'm a ketchup snob. I uh, feel very much about <laughs> the brand. But it, it feels like that's not as good a quality. And yep. that clearly is not the case, is it? Uh, well, maybe. There's some research looking at uh, price placebo effects. Right. And they, they did find that somewhere deep inside of us, we tend to kind of assume that it doesn't work as well if it's bought on discount or if it's in kind of this low price. Yeah, no, that's so true. There, there may be something to that, even if it is a national brand. So the, the power of these halo effects uh, can be very strong. Sure, sure. All right, so look for these imbalanced non-price signals. Look for these asymmetric price signals as well. Um, sure. my, my advice would be high-low pricing will tend to communicate that better in most situations. And then the last one, and I think maybe the most important one, we've talked over and over again about how these ideas are in conflict. It's very difficult for people to reconcile the fact that, that a uh, brand or, an, or a store might be both low price and high quality. So my advice is you need to provide your customers with a story to reconcile this conflicting information. So come up with a plausible explanation for why you violate the market norm, why it is possible that you have both lower prices and high quality and make that compelling and make that a part of your pitch. So I think Ikea does this well. Ikea doesn't have a reputation for having super high quality furniture, but if we include like design aesthetics within kind of quality, Ikea makes good stuff. It's stuff that people tend to like. And they've got a very clear story for how they can offer low prices and reasonable quality stuff, right? They, they, they save money because they flat pack everything. They make you assemble it. They make you muscle it out of the aisle and onto the cart. They don't allow you to go on any shortcuts when you're walking through the store. You have to go through the whole bloody store. They make you walk the entire maze um, yeah. in order to find your way out again if you can. <laughs> they've got a story they explain why it's possible to have the quality that they do at the the low price that they do anytime a store talks about cutting out the middleman right that's that's an explanation right we have to offer the same quality at a lower price why because there are fewer links in the chain that need to extract profit 
And that, that more efficient system allows us to have quality at low price. It's interesting you say that because I can think of two examples of that. One is actually Amazon, as we've just talked about. I think going back to your initial example, I think that Amazon has a compelling story. I'll yeah. tell you why they're able to do this. And we all kind of believe them. It's a historical thing with them, wasn't it? Which is because we are now online and therefore it's going to be cheaper and therefore blah, 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 blah. And that sort of just carried on, basically. I think it's actually interesting with them that they seem to be heading into some problems recently on things like the Prime membership and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that latest stuff around that, but uh, not allowing customers to easily stop prime membership and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, no, I haven't maybe heard, that's I haven't a subject that. of a separate podcast but i don't know if you've ever tried to stop amazon's prime membership it's difficult because i've tried whereas if i compared it against something like netflix it's very simple to stop netflix so anyway one issue the second one the second story that came to my mind was costco And again, I'm not sure how true this is, but the story I've heard is that they only take a 15% profit margin on everything. I've heard it's even lower than that. I've heard that they they make almost all of their profit off of the membership fee and they sell almost everything. Now, I also do not have confirmation on that, Uh, but I've heard that from either way, they make low profit. I think we can feel confident in saying off of each set because that's interesting in itself isn't it which is so we've got two stories there yeah we've just both heard rumors around these things i can't turn around and say look at that report or look at that study that tells you this it's interesting when your business model becomes part of the marketing pitch i think walmart especially in the early days of walmart part of their story was they have this super efficient distribution network. So they, w- they would move into a place by first establishing a distribution point and then building stores out around it so that they could be efficient, so that they could have low prices. There's really no reason customers should care, right? There's no, no reason that, that sure. you need to tell me about your distribution. Sure. Like, I don't. But it was a story that allowed people to understand why Walmart could offer national brands at such a low price. But it's an explanation, isn't it? Because if I go back to my ketchup example of earlier, okay, if they had told me why the Heinz ketchup in this discount store was particularly low, then I may not have questioned it, the viability of of buying that, whatever. That's exactly what we need, yeah. Yeah. So if I can say like, oh, we only buy overstock from other places or we only buy sure. whatever, we cut out the middleman. Now we're we're reconciling these conflicting bits yeah. of information. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good one, actually. I like that. And the more I think about that, the more I, I'm thinking of uh, even uh, home improvement companies with double glazing and stuff like that. There's manufacturers in Florida that they produce it at their own factory and therefore it's going to be cheaper and blah, 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 you know. So I can see the adverts now. So, good. So that's it. Those are my three bits of information. You want to look for asymmetric communications, things that will send a stronger low price signal than a low quality signal. Those can be non-price signals. 
like decor, things like that. They can be pricing, the way that you construct your pricing strategy. The most important advice that I have is you need an explanation. You need a story that you can tell customers that will help them understand how it's possible that these two things that should not coexist do for you. Sure. Makes a great deal of sense, mate. That's really good. And Catherine, I hope that's uh, been of uh, use to you. If anybody else has got a pickle they want to send in, then all you have to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. Uh, You can even record your pickle there. We'll put it on the show and uh, hopefully give you some explanation of what's happening and some advice of what to do. Hope that's been of use to you this week and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.